Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hey, so glad that you're here today. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Take your Bibles with me if you would, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter four. Today we're wrapping up a series of messages that we have called Exiled. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Peter. We told you we were gonna kind of take a chapter a week. We're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up today at chapter four. There's actually five chapters, but here's what we're gonna do. Next week we're gonna, we're gonna start a new series called Be Still, and uh, for a few weeks we're gonna look at some things around the Christmas season. I can tell you this, like I'm really excited about our Christmas services. Everything, uh, Sunday services the month of December and then everything kind of around Christmas. We'll share more with you even next week about that. But what our team has put together, I think is just just some of the sharpest stuff uh, and, and most powerful stuff that we've ever done. So excited about that around Christmas. And then after the Christmas holidays in January, we're gonna go back to 1 Peter because there's a lot of themes in 1 Peter that we haven't had a chance to, to look at. It's just the, the book is so rich. So we're gonna go back Back to First Peter for a few weeks when we when we get it the first of the year and uh, spend some time there uh, before we move on to something else. We've called this series "Exiled" because, as you know, we've talked about that this each week. This is actually the title that Peter gives to the people that he's writing to. He calls them exiles, and, and he means this: he knows that they're living in a place that is far from their home. It's not a place where they where they desire to stay and where their focus is not on what they see today, but the promises they have for the future. Because he reminds them that their citizenship is in heaven, that they really belong with God, and that it's his promises they hold on to, not what they can just see in the world around them. And this is powerful for them, and and he reminds us, and we've seen this all throughout this book, the principle that we've looked at, is that the faith we live out will separate us from the world we live in. And it makes a difference how we live our lives. And, and what Peter does in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, where we started last week, is he begins with this really interesting phrase. He says, the end of all things is near. And he's reminding them that, that we are living in what Scripture refers to as the last days, in, in the end of days, the end of time, that we look forward to that time when Jesus Christ will come again. And that's the hope of the church 2,000 years ago, and it's still the hope of the church today, isn't it? We believe that Jesus is coming again. And so because of that, we're reminded that our lives are short, even at best. We're not living for today, we're living for the future. Now what he reminds us of though, and and you see this all throughout scripture, is that when we talk about the end times, the focus of scripture is never on the then and there. Although we read about those things, we read about heaven, we read about the rapture and the tribulation and all those things, the focus of scripture is not the then and there, the focus is that because we live in the end times, how does that affect the way we live here and now and the way we live our lives? Which reminds us then, and this was the point of the whole message last week and where we'll pick back up again today, is that we live a life that is short And so we've looked at five things that life is too short for. If we are living in the end of time, we wanna look at five things that life is too short for. And and we need to keep these in mind. So we started and we went through, he says the end of all things is near in verse seven and then he launches into really some of the most practical teaching in all of 1 Peter. And the first thing he says to them, and, and this is the first one that we looked at last week, number one, life is too short to not think clearly. Life is too short to not think clearly. So he says to us that we need to be alert and sober-minded so that we can pray. The point is, we need to think clearly so we can communicate with God clearly. And then the second thing that we saw last week, number two, that life is too short to hold a grudge. 
He says that we're to love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And this was the point that that Peter made that we looked at last week and that, that we have the ability to choose to cover over the faults in others, the disagreements, the offenses that we have with love because love covers over a multitude of sins. Which brings us then to the rest of this passage. So let's jump back in. 1 Peter chapter four. We're gonna look at verses nine through 11 today and watch what Peter says to us. Verse nine. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. What I wanna look at is is the last three of those five things that life is too short for. So let's pick up number three then. From this passage we see this, life is too short to be selfish. Number three, life is too short to be selfish. This is an interesting statement, short verse. Here's what Peter says, verse nine of 1 Peter chapter four. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In the holidays, this is probably a pretty good time for us to talk about hospitality. For some of you, maybe you opened up your home this past week for Thanksgiving celebrations, or maybe you're going to as we get into the holidays with Christmas and New Year's and things that are ahead. Scripture uses this word significantly, really kind of in two different ways. One of the things that we'll see here in just a moment is that Scripture talks about hospitality kind of in the very general sense of the way that we treat each other in our relationships, and we'll, we'll look at some of that. And then there's two places where Paul uses it, in 1 Timothy and in Titus. And in these passages, Paul is mapping out what are the criteria for someone who's gonna be a leader in the church, a deacon, an overseer, an elder. And one of the qualities that he points out, both in Titus and in 1 Timothy, is he talks about the fact that this person who's gonna be a leader must be hospitable, which is this interesting thing. Hospitality is a criteria for spiritual leadership. It's an interesting dynamic that he makes here. He's saying that if you are not a person who is kind, generous, and hospitable, you potentially disqualify yourself from leadership in a spiritual sense. Hospitality is criteria for spiritual leadership, which then makes us say then, so what is hospitality? Why is being hospitable so important? And when we think of hospitality, the first thing that comes to mind is probably someone who can put on a good party, amen? That's kind of what we think about, they're, they're hospitality. Now the truth is though, hospitality is more than just hosting a good party. There's more to it than that. Now there are some people who have a, I would kind of say they just have a gift of hospitality. I know some people that when you walk into their house, you immediately feel at home. Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean you just kind of walk in and you're like, wow, I just feel so welcome. We've got some friends Literally, when we go over to their house, you just, you just feel relaxed. You feel like, man, I belong here. And then you walk in the kitchen and you see the food they've made and you say, I know I belong here. Praise God. Right? You just kind of have that, that process. There's some people that just kind of have that gift. Sometimes that's based on just people's giftedness. Sometimes it's based on, on maybe the home that they have or the ability that they have or, or whatever. But we can't just limit hospitality to putting on a good party. There's a whole lot more to it than that. See, hospitality is more than a good party. Hospitality is a mindset of generous concern for others. 
This is Paul's point when he talks about spiritual leadership in Titus and 1 Timothy. This is Peter's point when he talks about the fact that we need to show hospitality because time is short. And if hospitality is a mindset of generous concern for others, where we take the focus off of ourselves and put it on other people, we're reminded of this, life is too short to be selfish. So let's talk about hospitality a little bit. Let's, let's unpack, I think, some things that he, he wants us to see here. One of the things that's important when we talk about hospitality in a biblical sense to understand is this. We are to care for the vulnerable. Tied up in this idea of hospitality is the idea that we are to care for the vulnerable. Let, let me see if you've ever done this. Maybe, and maybe you did this this weekend if you did some traveling. Let's say you're traveling somewhere and you know that, that it's one of these trips that's long enough that you wanna break it up into a couple of days. So you know you're gonna, you're gonna take more than one day to, to do this trip and you, you leave your, your place to head to your destination and you say to yourself, let's just drive till we get tired and then once we, we kind of feel like we wanna call it a night, we'll, we'll pull over, we'll get off the highway, we'll pull over and we'll find a hotel somewhere and we'll just, we'll call it a night and then get out and finish the trip the next morning. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. Some of you, some of you, come on, folks, we're friends here, be honest, all right? Don't you fool me. So, so yeah, you've done this, right, okay. So, and the idea is, you don't stress about it. You're like, man, we'll find a place somewhere because you know that if you're in a populated area, there's probably gonna be an exit that you can get off. You'll find a reputable hotel, kind of a brand name hotel. You can get off. If you want to, you've got a smartphone, there's apps you can download and you can figure out, hey, where's the closest whatever kind of hotel or you can look and say, okay, these next five, six exits, this is what we're gonna find out there and you can kind of plan that way. In the first century, it wasn't like this. So when Peter wrote and said, I want you to offer hospitality, consider this. In the first century, people didn't drive, they walked and you might never know what you might encounter and how this trip's gonna go and you weren't really in areas where you could just pull off a highway and go to a hotel because, because there wasn't that kind of thing. And most of the, this may blow your mind, most of the people in the first century did not have smartphones. And those that did, the reception was horrible. No LTE, this one for you, you couldn't do this, they couldn't use it, right? So they had to kind of, when they would walk into a town and say, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop here, they were incredibly vulnerable. And they would go into a place, and most of the places where you could go and spend the night were not places where you wanted to go and spend the night. Most of them were not safe. They certainly weren't respectable. The things that went on in these places weren't necessarily places that were, that were great locations of righteousness, if this makes any sense. Especially for someone who's a new follower of Jesus Christ that Peter's writing to. And so he's saying, look, when people come to your town, especially other believers, they're coming and they're very vulnerable. So I want you, and this is the idea that you unpack here, I want you to extend hospitality to them. I want you to open up yourself to them. Now the idea of hospitality is that we care for the vulnerable. Now it's not as practical today. Look, if you, if you, if you roll into a town you don't know, you roll up to the Holiday Inn or the Hampton Inn, you find a place to stay. But we still are called, I believe by scripture, it's necessary that we practice this practical idea of hospitality by caring for those who are vulnerable. That's why a pro-life stance is so important to so many Christians. That's why we care for those who are underprivileged or ostracized by society. That's why we partner with ministries here, here in Toledo and Northwest Ohio and literally around the world who are reaching out to those who are vulnerable and in need. That's why we ask ourselves the question, who is it in my world that needs something that I have the ability to give that they can't do for themselves? Hospitality says, I'm gonna care for the vulnerable. And I think this is really important for us, especially in the political climate that we live in right now. 
Because so much of what is being talked about right now, and, and so much of why there's so much hostility in the last few months, is really opposing views on who's vulnerable and who cares for who. And the problem is this, many of us let our political party define our sense of compassion, instead of letting scripture do that for us. The reality is the unborn deserve our voice, as do the discriminated, and the orphan, and the lonely aged, and the forgotten veteran, and the homeless, and the imprisoned, and the refugee, and the impoverished. Those sound like some people who are vulnerable to me, do they to you? Hospitality says I care. But what difference does it make? Does it matter? I don't know, listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 25. He's telling a, a story here. You may be familiar with it. He, he's talking about kind of this, this parable of the separating. We often call it the parable of the sheep and the goats. And listen to what he says. Then, then this king that Jesus is talking about will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's a powerful truth, isn't it? Whatever you did for them, Jesus said, you did for me. He goes on in this story to say that whenever you didn't do it, you didn't do it to me. Here's the reality of this. Practical hospitality, let's just use that term to talk about caring for the vulnerable. Practical hospitality has spiritual ramifications. You're not just sharing an act of kindness. You're making a spiritual difference. Hebrews chapter 13, verse one. This is really fascinating, listen to this. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Your practical hospitality has spiritual ramifications. Now Peter is pulling back, he's mentioning something from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 18, where it tells us that Abraham entertained some strangers without realizing that they were actually spiritual beings. But you get the point here? He's saying, look, there may have been a time where you cared for someone and you were actually caring for an angel. Your practical hospitality has spiritual ramifications. But the idea of hospitality goes even beyond this. He he says that I want you to offer hospitality to one another. He stresses this idea of, of one another. So we not only care for the vulnerable, but we are called to love one another. We are to love one another. Meaning that we are to show that kind of grace, that kind of concern, that kind of active care to those who who we would refer to as the body of Christ, those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to what scripture says. Romans chapter 12, verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Galatians chapter six, verse nine. Let us not become weary in doing good, 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The family of believers, get this. You are my brother and sister in Christ. Now you may look different than me, you may act different than me, you you might have a different story than mine, but you're my brother or sister, which means we have the same father, right? And the children of God are the family of God, which means we are called by scripture to look out for each other, to care for one another. The children of God are the family of God. Now I have this really cool, vantage point because from from my role as pastor I, I get to see the church in some different ways because I get to see some things that happen sometimes behind the scenes that other people don't see and I've seen such powerful expressions of the people of God caring for one another when a, when a, when a father loses his job and, and the only source of income for that family and they're not sure what they're going to do and the connect group comes around them and, and doesn't just say, we're praying for you, brother, but they say, we're paying for you, brother. We're gonna take care of you. We're gonna help you get through this season. When a family welcomes a new child into their home, or when they suffer a tragic loss, somebody's sick and needs, and needs help, when there's somebody moving and needs, needs some extra muscle, when the people of God come together and practically show love to one another, it is a powerful thing. That is hospitality. You know why we do it? Because life's just too short to be selfish. So we, um, we, we show care to the vulnerable, we, we love one another. And then there's this third thing that I see in this verse that's really just kind of fascinating to me. The fact that Peter even has to bring this out, and you'll see this in a moment here all throughout scripture. He says to them, I want you to show hospitality and I want you to do it without grumbling. You know why he says that? <laughs> the only reason you say something like that is because people were grumbling. He was saying this, look, I want you to show hospitality, and I know what you're already thinking, I want you to quit your grumbling, because it's kind of human nature, isn't it? You know the other reason why I think he had to say that? I think he had to encourage them not to grumble, because living in the end times is hard. It had to be difficult. They were persecuted, they were struggling, they were suffering, they had lost out, their lives had changed, their relationships had changed. I'm gonna guess that those times of tension maybe even brought some division and factions in the church. There was disappointment and disagreement, maybe even struggles with leadership, and you have all this going on inside the church, so no wonder they were tempted to grumble. And here's the reality. We are to quit the grumbling, Peter says. He says, look, life's way too short for you to be selfish. I need you to quit the grumbling. Now there's a difference between grumbling and speaking out for those who are in need or speaking about injustice or about speaking the truth. But when I focus on myself, when I speak about myself and what I want and my needs, my desires, my frustrations, and I just grumble, that's a pretty advanced form of selfishness, isn't it? because I take all my focus off of anybody but myself. And you know why I grumble? I mean, not, not that I ever do, but do you know why, do you know why people grumble? Because it's the easy thing to do. It's a whole lot easier to grumble than it is to do something about it. 
And apparently, this wasn't just unique to, to Peter in the first century. Look at what James writes. James chapter five, and again, same context. He's talking about the end times, the last days, and he says this, James chapter five, verse eight. He says, you too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Apparently, um, Peter wasn't the only one who had to say it. Maybe, maybe the church is an easy place to grumble. I guess Paul said this when he was talking about being the lie of the world, Philippians chapter two, verse 14. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. He tells us here that what makes a difference when people will really see God in your life is when you choose not to moan, not to gripe, when you say, I will not grumble. You, you may be familiar with John Ashcroft. He was a U.S. senator, served as the uh, um, attorney general. And uh, what you might not know is that his father was one of the leaders in the Assemblies of God, the fellowship of, of, of churches that we are a part of, was a college president and a leader in our fellowship. And um, John Ashcroft said this about his dad. He said, the most important thing my dad ever taught me is that there are more important things than me. It's a good word, isn't it? I have this, I have this real clear memory from when I was a kid. I don't know. Um, my mom's about to get nervous. She, just, she doesn't know I'm telling this story. Um, There's a real clear memory of being in the, in the car. I must have been probably junior high age because it had kind of reached that point where my parents could kind of be honest, you know, in front of me about the reality of life and different things. And I remember I was sitting in the back of the car, sitting back there by myself. My dad was driving. My mom was up front. We were on our way home from church. You know, and I'm just kind of back there chilling because there's nothing cooler than a junior high kid in an Oldsmobile and, uh, you know, just kind of hanging out. My mom and dad start having a conversation. I don't know if they even know that I'm paying attention. And my mom starts talking about this lady from church who had spent the better part of the morning at church just grumbling and complaining about things. Um, I don't, I don't want to accuse anybody and, and so we'll, you know, do things with names to protect the innocent, but let's just call her Mabel. How's that sound? And Mabel was complaining about everything. She was complaining about the pastor. She was complaining about the church. She was complaining about people in the church. She's complaining about things the church was doing. The church couldn't do anything right, neither could her family because she was always right and her family was always wrong. So she complained about her family. And if you knew Mabel, you knew she was somebody who spent an awful lot of time complaining. It was her spiritual gifts, <laughs> which made her kind of a miserable person and kind of miserable to be around. And I remember my mom kind of telling my dad, I don't know what the context was or what the story was, but just kind of talking about how Mabel had spent a good part of the morning complaining. And I think it bothered my mom. Just, you know, you just get frustrated for someone whenever they're that, that way. And I just remember this so clearly. I don't know if they had any idea that I was listening, but I just remember my dad driving, my mom over here talking. I'm just kind of chilling in the back of the Oldsmobile. And my mom kind of explaining how this lady had spent the better part of the morning complaining. And my dad just saying, I'll tell you what, that Mabel, she'd be upset if Jesus was her pastor. And then my mom began to share a little bit more of something else that, that Mabel had said. And my dad just finally went, that lady, she's going to die and go to heaven and the streets won't be gold enough for her. <laughs> I learned this powerful lesson that day, sitting in the back of that Oldsmobile. Some people are just grumblers. 
Some people just choose to, to live life that way. They complain about everything. And no matter what happens, you are gonna encounter some people who are just grumblers. Have you met them? So you know what you need to do? Stay away from them. Don't let them bring you down. Don't let them mess you up. It's good to know this so that you know how to avoid that and how to not become that. I am about to drop on you an incredible spiritual truth. If you write nothing else down today, just, this is so powerful, it is so deep, you will say when I am done, that pastor is a brilliant young man. Are you ready? Some people are grumblers. Don't be one. You know why? This life's way too short to be selfish. That's why Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then, going into verse 10, he makes this crazy connection. Let me give you the fourth thing that I want you to see today that Peter shares with us. Number four, life is too short to waste your gifts. Life is too short to waste your gifts. He says, look, I want you to express hospitality. Then he says this, look at verse 10. Each of you should choose whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Did you see how he started this out? He says, each of you should use your gift. Now remember this, we believe this, that Peter has probably never been to these churches. He probably doesn't know hardly anybody, if anybody there at all. So he doesn't know their spiritual gifts, he doesn't know their skill set. He's not saying, look, you're so gifted. He's making a statement here. Now when I say as pastor, each of you has a gift, what I really mean is we're desperate in the nursery and we need help not Peter. You know why he says each of you has a gift? Because he's dropping a theological truth on them. He wants them to know that no matter who you are, no matter what you think of yourself, God has, by his Holy Spirit, empowered you with a gift that he wants you to use. Every person has a gift from God. This is the truth of this, and we, we, we'll, we'll get to this in a minute, because we can talk ourselves out of this, but look at what scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Each of us has been given something by God that he's called us to do so that we can use that gift to be a blessing to the church and to the world around us. So you say, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a talent or ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for God's glory. Sometimes it may seem like this real unique, dramatic, spiritual thing. Sometimes it may seem like this real practical thing. This is, well, it's just, it's just, it's who I am. It's what I do. It's how I'm gifted. But a spiritual gift is a, is a gift or it's a talent or ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for God's glory. And every person has a gift from God. And let me take this one step further. Not only does every person have a gift from God, I truly believe that every person is a gift from God. You have been, by God, chosen to be used for his purpose, for his glory. You have a gift, and you are a gift to the world around you. Now, don't take this too far. I remember when I first went to college, I was meeting some of these these people that were kind of moving in and trying to impress everybody, and I met some of these guys who were convinced that they were God's gift to women. Have you ever met people like that? That's not what I'm talking about. But realize that God has created you with a purpose, God has a purpose for your life. So you not only have a gift, you are a gift. 
He wants to use you to be a blessing to your family, to your church, to your workplace, to your community. God has a great purpose for your life and he wants you to see that. And get this, the gift is not for yourself. Because he says you've been given this gift to serve others. You have a gift to use for others. It's for you to be a blessing to the world around you. You have a gift to use for others and get this, you have a gift to steward from God. That word steward means that you are given something that you are responsible for. He says as an expression of God's grace, because he loves you and because he loves those that you will interact with, you have been given a gift to be a gift to change the world around you. If you'll grab hold of that, it'll make you a very rich person. Not financially, but in just about every other way. Have you, have you seen, that? maybe you saw the story in the news in the last few weeks. It came out of the nation of France where some guy inherited a home. I'm not exactly sure what the connection was, but he inherited this home and he inherited it from some hoarders. Guess what they had been hoarding? Since about 1950, they had been hoarding gold. Coins. Those, those ignits, the whole thing, I mean, they, they had gold. When he got moving around, he looked under the couch, under the table, in the drawers, searched all over, he found $3.7 million worth of gold. Would you like that kind of inheritance? Look, if you've been hoarding anything like that, and you don't have your will all taken care of, it's Gilligan with two L's. You just catch me? I'd love to inherit something like that. Look, your heavenly father, has left you an incredible inheritance. And he's gifted you with something of immeasurable value, and so many of us just hoard it. We sit on it when what he wants you to do is spend it and use it to be a blessing to others. And Peter breaks our gifts down into two general areas here. Now, now if, you, if you read through scripture, You'll see in, in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in Ephesians chapter four, the apostle Paul mentions what we call gift lists. And he talks about them in different contexts and in different ways. I don't think scripture gives us this whole exhaustive list of gifts, but it mentions some of what they are. And, and Paul gives it to us in more detail. Peter just breaks it down into two general categories. He says it's the things that you say and it's the way that you serve. Things that you say, the way that you serve. And so understand this, your gift may be the words you say. How God uses your mouth, how he uses your influence, how he uses your words may actually be the way in which he wants to impart your gift to be a blessing to other people. Paul's list mentions some of these things. The, the think about this. He talks about the preacher and the teacher, the encourager, the evangelist, the prophet. He talks about the gift of tongues, the gift of leadership, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. All of these are gifts that primarily can be expressed in the words that we say. And, and you may think to yourself, well, well if, if I'm gonna be used in a gift where I'm gonna say something, it must be that I have to either like stand on that platform or teach a class somewhere, when actually those words go so much beyond that. It's not that you have to be in a spotlight. I think some of the most powerful expressions of the spiritual gifts happen in our atrium. When someone speaks to someone and they just feel like a stirring, it doesn't have to be this moment where the heavens open and lights come down and you hear, oh, it's not what it is, but you just know, I'm just gonna speak a word of encouragement to this person. And that's a gift that it might just seem like a, an encouragement to you, but it could be life to that person as God uses that gift to speak through you. Sometimes 
that it's in the words that we say, but understand this, you speak with God's words and not your own. It's not just what you say, it's how God speaks through you. So your gift may be the words that you say, but your gift may be the works that you do. It's not always just your words, sometimes it's your works. Your gift may be the works that you do. And again, uh, Paul helps us to understand some of this. He mentions different gifts. He talks about serving and giving and showing mercy and helping others and gifts of faith and miracles and healing and discernment. If you look in the Old Testament where, where it talks about in the book of Exodus when they're building the tabernacle, one of the things that, that it says is that there were those who were specifically empowered by the Spirit with the gift of craftsmanship. See, what may seem like a very practical thing to you is a very spiritual thing to God, and he wants to work and use you. The gift you may be using is the works that you do, but understand this, you serve with God's strength and not your own. It's his power at work in us. It's God's strength. Philippians chapter four, verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. One of the things that, that uh, is a, is a favorite pastime of, of a lot of people over this past weekend, kind of from Thanksgiving on, on through yesterday, is watching football. Some of you watched a lot of football. Thanksgiving Day, some of you had your, your Lions play, some of you had your Cowboys play, and some of us watched our Pittsburgh Steelers win Thanksgiving evening. You are good. So, so man, I, I sat and I watched that game. I, I digested in the first half and I went back for more in the second half. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. One of the things, praise God. And um, I'll call you out, brother. I'll call you out. So, so, so one of the things that you recognize about football, which is interesting, is you have all these different guys that are on the field and they all have a different role to play. In fact, many of them, it's based on either their speed or their size or their ability or that they're just kind of crazy giftedness and that's why they're in that position. There's not many people who could play every position. You probably don't want your kicker to be your center. He's not built for that. But when you get the right people in the right places, then the team functions the way it's supposed to and then they can move towards victory. The same thing's true with our spiritual gifts. Sometimes we look and we go, well, I wish I had that gift or I wish I could be like that person or I wish this or I wish that. But God has designed you, he's built you, he's chosen you, he's gifted you the way that he has because he wants to use you in your family, in your church, in your community, in your job, in the world, in just the way that he's designed. And when you do your part, then that moves the whole team toward victory. Does that make sense? So it's kind of this beautiful analogy. Let me tell you why I use this analogy. Because far too many of you Spend your time thinking, no, I'm not gifted, or I don't have this, or I, I can't talk like, or I can't do like, or I don't have. God has gifted you, and he wants you to use that gift for him. So here's why I use this analogy. I want you to stop talking yourself out of using your gift and taking yourself out of the game. Some of you are talking yourself out of using, well, I can't, or I won't, or I'll look, or I might, or they will and you talk yourself out of using your gift, and as a result, you take yourself out of the game. And instead of being on the field, moving the team toward victory, you're just sitting off on the sidelines. Which for the record, is a much more boring place to be. Which is why Peter says, look, the end is near. Life's too short for you to be selfish. Life's too short for you to waste your gift. Are you ready for the last one, number five? Life is too short to miss the point. Life is too short 
to miss the point. Look, it's interesting, especially when we come to the end of a year like we're looking at, people start asking questions. What is the meaning of life? What are we here for? Does all this matter? What's, what's my purpose? And at some point they wanna know, what is the point of this life? It's a pretty important question to ask. Peter actually helps us here. He says, look, I want you to show hospitality. I want you to use your gifts, and here's the reason why. First Peter chapter four, verse 11. So that in all things, why do we do this? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. What's the point? The point of life is to give praise to God. It's why we were born, it's why we exist, it's why we do the things that we do. Peter says, look, understand the end is near, so time is short, life's too short to miss the point. You know what the point is? The point is to give praise to God, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your home, just in the basics of what you do, whether it's the fact that some things just come naturally and you're gifted in that way, or some things that you've gotta stretch and work towards, you gotta take a step of faith. The reality is my purpose is his praise. My purpose is his praise. How do we do that? Well, that, that last part of the verse where it says to him be all glory and power, so many times we can skip over those, but that's there for a reason. He wants us to understand this, that God is to receive all of the glory in our lives. He's the one who's to receive it. Not me, but him. So how's that practically play out? Well, let's let's talk about what we talked about the last two weeks. When there's those times when I choose to think clearly, when I'm alert and sober-minded, when I clearly communicate with God so that I can think clearly in my life, he's glorified in that because I make better decisions and I choose to honor him. And people can see that in my life. When I think clearly, he receives glory. I was having this unique conversation with a friend the other day and we were talking about temptation. About how, how, do you, how do you resist temptation when those things come your way that you're drawn maybe even to make bad decisions? And he said to me, you know what I've come to learn? I've come to learn that when I resist temptation, I actually bring glory to God. That when I choose to do things his way instead of my way, I actually glorify him in the process. Isn't that a cool thought? When I resist temptation, I bring glory to God. Peter says that we're to love each other deeply because when we love We actually express glory to God. And we talked about this, it's difficult. What do you do when there's this big heaping pile of offense over here, when someone sinned against you and that relationship is broken? And we saw this last week, that love covers that. And until it can be fixed, love covers. And when love covers over a multitude, I get so upset about this. When love covers over a multitude of sin, what does that do? It brings glory to God. When I show hospitality, when I care for the vulnerable, when we love one another, we're, we're not just being nice people. We're bringing glory to God. When I grumble, I'm not bringing a lot of glory to God. But when I choose to express words of encouragement and hope, well, that makes a difference. When I use my gifts, even if it's a stretch of faith, whether I think I use them brilliantly or whether I think I focus on mediocrity, God doesn't judge it the way that we see it. He looks and says, you were faithful, that's awesome, you just gave me glory. In everything we do, we're called to bring glory to God. God is to have all the glory in our lives and God is to have all the power in our lives. 
God is to have all power in our lives. Now that's an interesting statement that Peter makes there. He says, to him be all glory and power, which, which I can't give God any more power than what he already has, right? He's the, he's the all-powerful one. First Peter chapter three, verse 22 says, he has power over everything in heaven and on earth. He has all the power. So it's not like I can go, hey God, here's a couple batteries, hope this helps you out, right? It doesn't work like that. What he's saying is this, you've gotta understand, it's not so much that you're giving him power, I think sometimes I have to remind myself that he has all the power. So that when I'm walking through a difficult time, I know it's not on me, it's on him. And even more, that word power has the idea of authority and dominion that he's over everything, and that I give him all that authority, I give him that dominion, I give him the power in my life. He's the one who's in charge. That's why we use a word like Lord when we talk about him, because I've committed my whole life to him. Why is this so important? That we give him the glory, that we give him the, the, the dominion, the power in our lives? Why is it so important? Because I don't want you to miss the point. Far too many of us miss the point. And when I live for myself, I miss the point of living. When I live for myself, I totally miss the point of living. And life is just way too short for that. It's too short to be selfish. Life's too short to waste your gift. Get off the sideline and into the game. And life's too short to miss the point. In spite of everything else that may pull and draw on us, the reality is his praise is your purpose. One of the... um, one of the great privileges of, of my life personally has been the opportunity to travel and, and go to some pretty just unique places that I'm really thankful for. And maybe, maybe you've been to some of them too. So we'll, we'll put some pictures up on the screen. Let's talk about this for, for just a minute. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? Raise, raise your hand if you've ever been to Niagara Falls. Anybody, is this it? Anybody else? Raise your hand. You been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, cool place, right? Awesome place, beautiful place. And just kind of, you stand there, wow. Anybody, anybody been over the falls? Anybody gone over the falls? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Okay, how about this? Any of you, any of you been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody go over the Grand Canyon? No, you didn't. I mean, just amazing, amazing place. Okay, how about this? Any of you ever been to the Caribbean? Yeah, any of you praying that God would transport you to the Caribbean miraculously at this very moment? What a powerful way to end this message. Yeah, beautiful place. How many of you, how many of you ever been to Paris? It's on my bucket list, place I've never been, but just kind of, yeah, beautiful place. Paris at night, supposed to be so, okay, so you've got this. So there's these beautiful places you can go. What if you did this? What, what, if, you, what if you hopped on an airplane or you, you drove to one of these places, don't drive the Caribbean, and, and you, um, you go to one of these places and you get there and you get to your hotel and you check in and you say, this is so awesome, I'm here. And you go and you close the curtains and you lay down on the bed and you turn on the TV and you say, I just love being here. And you never leave the room. You spend that whole trip in the hotel room. Now you can order room service, that's cool. But you stay in that hotel room. Does that make any sense? Were you really there? Man, I'll tell you what, until you stand on the edge of those falls and feel that mist in your face, you've not been there. Until you stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon and said to yourself, I think I'm too close. You've not been there. Until you've come home from the Caribbean with the sunburn you're gonna regret later, you've not really been there. You can't go to Paris and not really see the sights 
And look at the lights at night and say that you've really been there. If you just stay in that hotel room, you may have been there, but you've not really been there. And my fear is that some of you are missing the point. And you're saying, I love God and I want to serve him and all this stuff. But you never leave this little, you're playing it too safe. You're taking the easy way out. And Peter says, look, life is way too short for you to just stay in the hotel room. Because I've got so much more for you. I want you to live. So life's too short to be selfish. Get in the game. Life's too short to waste your gift. And don't miss the point. His praise is your purpose. Life's way too short for you to miss that. I really like this song that Pastor John taught us today that says, I will build my life on you, God. So we're going to sing it again. I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are. And um, he's going to lead us in this song. In fact, before we do this, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to search your own heart. Life's too short to miss this, friends. It's a great adventure that God has for you to live. And for some of you, it's going to mean getting out of that little room and saying, Lord, you're the focus of my life now, not myself. Your praise as I use my gifts, as I show hospitality to others, your praise is my purpose. As Pastor John leads us in this song, would you search your own heart? Let's make a decision to build our life on his truth today.
ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment before we're done. Because the reality is that for some of you, it, it's, it's not a matter of just maybe a, a shift in perspective. The truth is, life's too short for you to miss this moment. Because the point of life is to give God praise. But you can't do that unless first you've given him your life. Maybe you're here today and you know that, that, that you've walked in here looking for something or God's spirit has spoken to your heart about the fact that you need something more in your life. And you've tried it on your own and you've looked in all kinds of different places. And, and, and maybe maybe you've done it far away from a church or maybe you've, you've, you've been in church, but yet you just keep looking all these other places and God's speaking to your heart today. He wants you to know how much he loves you loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins. That's why we call Jesus our Savior. Because his death on the cross brought us forgiveness and it brought us hope and it brought us joy and it brought us peace. In fact, he he rose again from the dead and that's why we can have life in him. Maybe you say, I've tried it on my own. Scripture says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, that your life can be changed, that you can have that hope and that peace, that you can be transformed, that what was old can become new again. And today's the day for you to say, Lord, I'll build my life on this because life's too short to miss the point on this one. Maybe God's speaking to your heart and saying today's the day for you to begin or maybe to begin again that relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe at one point you were right with him, but you've kind of went your own way. And you know today that he's, he's with love and arms. He's calling you back. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'd, if you'd say today, I need to begin or begin again a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? Just kind of right where you are. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks. You'd say today I need to begin or begin again that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you you just raised your hand, or if you know you should have, or if you know that Jesus already is your Lord and Savior, would you repeat after me? Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin, change my life. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I choose today to build my life on your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, especially if you prayed it for the first time, I want to encourage you to stop by our Connection Center. Um, Love the opportunity to meet you, pray with you, have a Bible we want to give to you, and just want to encourage you in that decision today. Father, as we go from here today, may we remember your grace in our lives. Lord, may we keep in mind life's too short to be selfish. It's too short to waste those gifts that you've given to us. Lord, help us not to miss the point. May your praise be our purpose as we go from here today. Send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen.